0: Okay, so this is part three of our New Testament series. This is called the Letters of the Kingdom, or Letters to the Kingdom, whatever I decided to call it right there. And this is going to be books, Romans through Jude. So it's 21 different books. Now granted, some of these are like, you know, a chapter long. So 21 maybe overstresses it in some ways. I think when we did the prophets and it was maybe nine or 10, that might have been, you know, more words. But uh, it's still a lot. There's still a lot of different ideas to get through. In preparing for it it's been pretty fun to be able to look at the themes and it's the way we have approached all these books is you look at more of the themes and things and so it's a different way of approaching it obviously it forces you to simplify but there's some beauty in that too and next week of course we've got one left we got revelation so we're gonna tie up all 66 next week David is gonna kill it I'm sure so tonight we're gonna recap acts which David did last week I think everyone was here so we'll recap it quickly and then, of course, we're going to go through Romans through Jude, 21 books. We're going to try and connect these themes to the story of the kingdom or to the story of the church. And then uh, we're going to lead into Revelation next week. So let's look. Uh, oh, and there you go. Let's look at Acts really quickly. And some of these words are going to be small on the screen. Um, but this is what David talked about. So through the persec- persecution and scattering of God's people, the church spreads internationally. The church becomes a multi-ethnic, multi- multicultural, and meant for all. Uh, Paul continues to boldly, and this is not in your notes, Paul continues to boldly spread and influence God's kingdom, even from behind bars through powerful letter writing. So one of my favorite things from last week was just talking about how, you know, it's like that verse from Genesis, You know, what you intended for evil was actually good, and I think you know, Paul being put in a prison would have been seemingly a, a terrible thing. But in fact, it was... Uh, Kind of the reason why we're sitting here in, in large part. So, sort of reminds me of the Beatles. The Beatles had to stop touring because of uh, death threats and bomb threats in 1966. But all the albums that followed were much better because they were no longer forced to think about performing the songs. And so there are sort of things historically that kind of force changes that seem like bad things, but you know, had it not been for, been for that, as of the Beatles and Paul, who I think of in very similar lights, um, we wouldn't have the same output. So, yeah, sorry, David. Well, I could go on to why that's similar, but I won't. All right. I'm kidding. Paul's a better guy. All right, so God's kingdom comes to earth by Jesus, the Spirit, and his church. And faithfulness to God is shown by sharing the good news in word and in action, forming diverse communities of kingdom living, and trusting the Spirit's power and guidance. All right, so we're going to look at these epistles tonight, or letters, you can call them. I mean, technically, letters. All right, so I think you'll probably know that these were sent these weren't sent like in bound form they were sent i guess like in scrolls and read out loud to churches that's kind of maybe the mindset you should get yourself into we actually when we were in rome that'll be the first one we start with we went to kind of an underground has anyone been to rome like on a trip they take you into one of these little catacombs and maybe sit there and read some from romans to you so we did that will and i have done that Yeah, so it's kind of cool. We sat there and we sang like a hymn together. It was pretty cool. And there's actually some of these catacombs that have Christian markings from the first century. So it's pretty cool to think about people sitting in the dark amongst the dead, listening to these letters maybe be read for the first time. So that's pretty neat. So we did that with Romans, in fact, when we are in Rome, as you might imagine. So 13 of these letters are from Paul, and then 8 letters are from other church leaders, and we'll get to that. Some think maybe 14 by Paul if you count Hebrews, but I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews. So there you go All right, so Romans Uh, Romans we have done a study on so I feel like I'm pretty familiar with Romans Uh, it's written by Paul to the Gentile Christians in Rome and he's hoping that they'll help in spreading the gospel and he's developing defending the truth of the gospel message that he had been preaching Uh, I think one of the key themes and it's a foundation of Christian belief is this idea of grace by faith and that is I mean there's a couple little cornerstones of Romans but grace by faith is certainly one of those. It also explains how the good news of salvation has been made available through Jesus' death on the cross and is actually worked out through the Holy Spirit's work in us. It's been said of Romans that it's a, a treatise by Paul to the Romans on justification by Christ. I guess technically faith in Christ. but um, You probably know this, but Martin Luther was really influenced, and so this idea of his solas, and faith alone justifies us. That's a big thing, and it was also a big push of the Reformation. Okay, so this idea that you know salvation is not earned, but that it's through faith. So that would have been a huge change in the way that the church thought. Of course, we've inherited that. We're not a product of the Reformation in particular, but indirectly we are. Uh, I say we, and to whatever degree you're evangelical or you know Protestant, I should say. So. I have these little pieces of art. This is actually from Dr. Peter Snell. He's gonna be doing GI, if you wanna know, more talk about medicine. Um, But he found all these, there's a website where this uh, lady had drawn these little sketches of the key verse from each book. And artistically, this is not up on the same level as our Renaissance art that I prefer, Uh, but it's kind of a cool way of highlighting some of these verses and maybe attaching some ideas to your mind. So I'll just read each of these verses as we get to them. I'm sure you could argue as to what really should be the key verse from each of these books, but I think these are pretty good and representative. So, Romans one 16 through 16-17, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So it gets to you know, a few of the core ideas of Romans for sure. All right, 1 Corinthians. Interestingly, I have to say, I've always thought of 1st and 2nd Corinthians as being like Roman numeral 1 and 2. It's actually numerical. 1 and 2 is the more common way. So I had to go back in and change all this. Just a fun fact. Alright, so 1st Corinthians, um, it's in the name, but it's written to the Christians at Corinth, which was a commercial hub of Greece, which I think is interesting to think about. And uh, he was trying to restore balance to a church plant that was threatened. And so this is uh, Paul's rebuke and advice on... Division in the church on uh, sex and sexual immorality, on divorce, and also on lawsuits. Suing. It mentions a lot of practical advice for Christian li- living, and it kind of reads like it's almost like a boss that's setting the record straight on a few policies in a staff meeting. So it's sort of like now about this policy that I mentioned, or about this that policy. Kind of reads a little bit like that. Uh, it also uniquely talks about spiritual gifts. Uh, more than any other book which is interesting because like whatever it is that we're arguing about or talking about as a church today like one of the things they really talked about a lot as the Corinthian church was their spiritual gifts that the church there thought that they were spiritual elites because of their gifts and Paul emphasizes that love and unity are more important than spiritual gifts so that's in 1 Corinthians 13 the love chapter okay alright so spiritual gifts is your blank and then our key verse here is this right here. This is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's a great verse. And I would say 1 Corinthians 13 is a real key key chapter, one of the more famous chapters. All right, moving along. 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians. Do um, <laughs> so you want to get that reference? Never mind. All right. Uh, all right. <laughs> Which one is, it looks like the number two. Right. Paul vents a little on his disappointment in the Corinthian church, and makes <laughs> and makes a call for unity among believers. All right, so he vents a little on his disappointment in the Corinthian church and makes a call for unity among believers. It's not in the notes, but it's kind of interesting that there's probably four letters that were written to the Corinthian church by Paul. There was a first, like, initial letter that he alludes to in First Corinthians. Then there's like, either it came third or it came fourth, there's like a letter where he was like really upset with them. Some people think that the last part of Second Corinthians is that, or that it's lost, whatever it's worth. I think it's interesting to know that there are other letters, of course, that aren't around. This is not all he wrote, but of Corinthians, there were four letters he wrote to them. Um, so he discusses handling dissension, false teachers, which false teachers is something you'll see show up in like half of these epistles and then church leadership, which is also a super common theme. Uh, actually, Paul, in this, in this book, he defends his role as a church leader and this role was in flux because there were false teachers that were working their way into the church leadership. So, of course, he wasn't there to kind of take up for himself, and so as he heard these things he's having to defend, you know, himself as church leader. And so he makes his case for people believing him over false teachers by referring to his own personal integrity and to the truth of the gospel. So that's in 2 Corinthians. Here is our piece of art. Not the best. Okay. It's okay. It kind of shares like like a color theory with something Libby would probably draw. Um, no, I mean, color. That's like how oh, those are our colors, like marker colors. Okay. Second Corinthians... I'm not going to tell you who made these because you're going to email her. 2 Corinthians 7.16, I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. So that's is some of his parting words there to the Corinthian church. All right, Galatians. This is David's favorite book. Is that right? Romans. First. Romans. Okay, sorry. I think I, that's the fourth time I said that wrong. Okay, David enjoys this book. Yeah, David likes Paul. Um, and not Paul from the Beatles. Paul the Apostle. Okay. All right. Wr- written by Paul to the Christians in Galatia, which is a Roman province. It's now modern-day Turkey. Have you been to Galatia, Anna? Yes. Yes. Have you been to all these cities? Probably. Most of them. Yeah. When, they, when you come upon a city you've not been to, I want you to let me know. Have you been to Philippi? Yep. Okay. Colossae? Yep. Yeah. It's okay. just a mound. that yeah, it has not big, been dug up yet. But it's yes, I've philosophy. stood on top of it. What are they waiting on? It just hasn't been. Is I know you... The They've like probably been dug yeah, up. In the middle of it. Dug up. Yeah, what are y'all doing this There's summer? not a lot of like, archaeologists <laughs> that are gone. No, yeah, there aren't. But you it's can go. I mean, I've gone and read the book of Colossians. on top of that. I think hill sounds better than mound, mound makes. What do they call, do they call it? like a hill? Like like uh, a, there's a specific word for it. There's a term for it. it but cities but cities that are built I'm fascinated by this. All right, Galatians, which Anna has been to, um, the, the purpose was to denounce, again, this is a the theme, false teaching, or false teachings, sorry, and uh, it had infiltrated the early churches that Paul and Barnabas had established. Which I think that's relevant to today, because, you know, it's not like false teaching is some new thing that we're dealing with just today. It's something they were dealing with, even within the generation of Christ. So false teachers wrongly insisted that Gentile Christians had to keep the ritual laws of the Jews. And this was teaching the opposite of Paul's gospel message. They were trying to spin it back to the old way. And Paul had to, again, defend his integrity, sort of like he did in 2 Corinthians because there were personal attacks from false teachers that they were using to discredit him to the Galatians, and they were trying to teach that the law should represent freedom and not bondage. All right, so they're teaching basically the opposite. And so I think this will show up later that the law is, we're no longer held to that, so we should be free from that. All right, which you'll see actually in this key verse. Galatians 5.1, "'It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Right. And that's like a really regular theme from Paul is this idea of the law and no longer <coughs> holding you captive. You know, you're no longer a slave to that. There's other slaves that we, that we are, we're slaves to sin. That shows up in Romans and some other things, but this idea of law and the idea of Gentiles and Jews and how we should act today is obviously very relevant to Paul and certainly to the Galatian church alright Ephesians so this is written by Paul to the believers in Ephesus which is also in modern day Turkey And this is to remind the Ephesians of how they should act as Christians um, so I guess imagine being asked as a new Christian to adopt a brand new standard of living how to react in situations how to respond to questions about yourself how your language would differ from others and how you would treat your family and so you would have a sort of crisis of identity So I think it makes sense that this would be one of the things that the church dealt with was mixing the Jews in with the Gentiles. And when we talked about Romans, you might recall that the Jews had been pushed out of the city and then they were being reintroduced to the city. So even worse, you sort of had the church taken over by Gentiles and then the Jews were reintroduced into it who had been in charge. And so how weird that would have been. And I really can't imagine so much of a, a modern example of that, but obviously that had caused a lot of issues in different cities in different ways. So there's three big themes in Ephesians. Uh, You can see them up there. Your words are grace, peace, and love. So of grace, we are saved by grace. Therefore, we should show grace to others. Peace, we all deserve wrath, but are adopted by God through Jesus. Therefore, we should live at peace with each other since we are all sinners. And then love, God shows us his love through Jesus. Therefore, we should love one another. And that means that our relationships must be rooted in love and walk in love. So grace, peace, and love. All right, and then Ephesians, we don't have a piece of art for this one. This one's just a meme. Um, but Ephesians 4, 1 through 2. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another, in love. So basically, again, grace, sort of peace, and love, in a way. All right, Philippians. Oh, no, this is our... this did not animate correctly, so the title is missing. This is our break. This is our first break. So this is a game. So uh, we have a break. You needed a break. I felt like we needed a break. Um, all right. So this is testing you on information that you should have picked up. And don't look at your sheets, you cheaters. So which apostle talks about spiritual gifts more than any other book? Who knows it? One Corinthians. One Corinthians. One Corinthians. <laughs> all right. One Corinthians. See, that's the I Corinthians. This is wrong. I didn't get to change it. All right. Which epistle talks specifically about the law representing freedom and not bondage? David's favorite book. (laughs) It's a funny answer. All right. Galatians. Uh, Speaking of bondage and contracts, how many games out of 200 has Chandler Parsons actually played for the Grizzlies as of December 12th, 2018? And I have updated this. But as of December twelfth, how many games did Chandler Parsons played? Uh, we have thirty six played in. Just got minutes. Actually played. I would think that means. Yeah. yeah. I think if he would. Yeah. I like that. If you were to be able to determine that, then you could have the right answer. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Well, maybe there. he thought like gosh. I know, Aimee. I'm just being silly. All right. Thank you. Anyone else want to wager a guess? It's very important. No. 35. 35. (laughs) 73. Played a lot of games back there in the early. $69 million for playing 36% of his games. Now, how about as of today, how many has he played for the Grizzlies? Because he did obviously come back, if you watch the Grizzlies, came back after December to play some games. 84. Eighty-four, David. Just throw a number out. Ninety-five. Ninety-five, Chandler. We're gonna get. We're gonna get another eighty-two next year. So, anyway, all right. There's our black. Right. We're back. We're back. Philippians. All right. So this is written by Paul while under house arrest uh, in Rome to the Christians at Philippi. And Philippi was a Roman colony located in modern day where Anna, Greece. Did you read it off the sheet? Oh, that's good I don't know those things, I want to go someday all right. so he wrote this To thank them for sending money for his living expenses As he awaited trial He warned them against, surprise surprise False teachers And he encouraged unity, similar to other epistles In this way So one of Paul's uh, most encouraging letters Is Philippians And the major theme is finding joy in suffering Or in hardship uh, the, the Philippians and Paul alludes to this. They would endured a lot of suffering, so spe- specifically for some persecution. There was a prominent member named Epaphroditus who was falling ill on his way to visit Paul. And then there were false teachers that were constantly encroaching. I'll mention it later, but there's in these two books in a row Epaphroditus and Epaphras. So if that's not confusing, that's like Bobble Bowl gold. But anyway, this is Epaphroditus. Uh, So one commentary describes Philippians as seeing how faith can be dressed in everyday work clothes and putting lofty truths into practical terms. So Philippians is a really popular book. I think of Philippians 2, the song that's in there um, is great. We should probably just read it. But there's just certain segments of books that are just great. So go read that. Our key verse is uh, Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again Rejoice Which we could sing Yeah I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me That's a super popular one That's probably like top five Like It's up there with John 3.16 That's a a good coffee cut, verse Yeah, it's a good one Alright, so moving on to Colossians This is written by Paul to the believers in Colossae While awaiting trial on an appeal To the Roman Emperor Nero To defend against the Gnostic movement So if you're thinking about Colossians I think of Gnosticism That's probably like Which is going to be your blank, Gnostics But um, this is interesting to me Because Paul had actually never visited the church in Colossae But he wrote this letter to encourage them Since he had heard good things from his friend Epaphras Who had started the church there Uh, Gnostics Do you all have some sort of idea of what that is? Sort of, kind of Well, you're about to find out Uh, Gnostics are a group that claimed to possess supernatural knowledge for salvation and it was sort of a hybrid or like a syncretism of pagan beliefs and Christian religion and Platonic philosophy and is very uh, prominent in in Colossae, considered to be the center of Gnosticism and a lot of other religious philosophies. So it's just kind of interesting to think of this city as being like this sort of brand of like kind of pseudo-Christianity, I guess you could say. Sort of like, I don't know, Portland or something. <laughs> um, so that that joke wasn't written down. That was just off the cuff, people. <laughs> yeah. um, so Paul emphasizes how we should find our identity in Jesus. And Jesus is supreme and authoritative. Obviously, he's trying to strike a contrast between what Gnosticism would say and then what the gospel actually is. Okay. So that was a big false teaching movement at the time. All right. Oh, we don't even have... Wait. Yeah, we don't even have a verse on here, but it's in your sheet. So Colossians four six through seven. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you are instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. So it's Colossians. All right, one Thessalonians. Uh, this was written by Paul the leader at Thessalonica. Have you been to Thessalonica, Anna? Yeah. I oh, okay. <laughs> she calls it Thessaloniki. Just to prove that she's lived there well, maybe maybe I knew that okay. <laughs> But I did actually ask Without like realization <laughs> Yeah, okay Yeah, I live there Okay um, <laughs> This is one of Paul's most positive letters Okay uh, it does a lot of, He does a lot of commending the church For living holy lives That's your blank In a culture that was hostile towards Christians Which uh, It contains a lot of parallels to our modern day And it gives a lot of practice, practical advice on Christian living. I I think it's interesting as we talk about some of these are Peter's words for sure, but I don't know that we're in a culture that's hostile towards Christianity in Memphis, but I do think we're getting there. And I think like it, and I I guess I'll say two things. I think it's really uh, common to kind of beg that that it's like oh it's so hard being a Christian and. I don't really think it is hard being a Christian today, like in Memphis. Like I can listen to Christian music in my dental office and no one complains and no one cares. And I mean, we're not living in an age where if you're Christian you're being put in the Coliseum, okay? But I do think it's heading in that direction. I think you're seeing it like in politics. I mean, David and I track politics a lot and probably some of you do too, but it was really the first election we've ever had where the two main people up for president you could argue weren't really Christian or trying to say they were Christian. I mean, it was sort of like a footnote. Whereas in the past, it's pretty much always been a big part of what they're about. I think now you look at some of the candidates and it's even more that direction where it's like, the fact that they aren't Christian is like a big part of why they're being considered. And I think it will kind of continue to go that way. And so I think people are starting to distance themselves from Christian ideas. Now this sets up this whole other like big conversation of I think people are in this weird in-between place where they, as we were listening to a podcast that said this, they, they want the benefits of the kingdom but without the king. And so we're in this weird place where like we want to uphold what's good, but largely what's good is based on Christian concepts. So we're in this kind of weird in-between where it's like a game of telephone and we forgot who actually said the first thing. So that's a very interesting time. But I think it ends with people rejecting good as they really officially reject the king or the source of that. Good, or the source of even information about what is good, and I think at that point, I think it will become more and more difficult for Christians, and we'll have a cult- culture that's actually hostile towards Christians. I-, I think that's probably coming within our lives, and of course, I don't know. So, but I think as it is right now, I don't think that's true. I don't think that what Thessalonica was dealing with is anything like what we're dealing with. It was much worse for them. Um, all right, so a couple of verses here. First uh, Thessalonians four eleven through twelve. Make it your ambition, this is again sort of about this holy lives concept, but Make it your ambition to live, uh, lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we, which would have been Paul and Timothy, told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 Do we have a little... Yeah, there we go, see? Um, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more." So it's kind of interesting. So Thessalonica, that church there, was actually doing a pretty good job, which I think maybe they're like one of the only ones, but they were living holy lives in spite of some pretty tough surroundings, and I think that's pretty great. All right, right, Second Thessalonians. This is written by Paul likely within a year of his first letter to the Thessalonians, and it's sort of a stronger dose of encouragement to stand firm. Sort of a continuation of what 1 Thessalonians had been about, as you might assume. All right, And as this is the kind of developing theme, many false teachers were trying to convince the Thessalonians that Jesus had already made his return, that there was nothing to look forward to, nothing to suffer for, and no reason to labor in anticipation of the day of the Lord. And I think this false teaching is why he had to write to the Thessalonians again. Maybe he felt like he hadn't addressed it and he wanted to address it again. So I think this brings up this interesting kind of idea of why did Paul spend so much time communicating with these churches when I guess he could have been done doing other things. It's another interesting question that we're not going to answer is how long it would have taken Paul to write one of these letters like I you kind of sometimes wonder like a day. I mean I don't think Romans took a day. I would think several weeks. But some of these shorter letters like maybe like a couple hours. I mean that's kind of the amazing thing about it. it might not have taken him that long. And of course we've Live with these books for 2,000 years It's pretty amazing um, But I think that Paul views these churches As new churches as his children And in 1 Thessalonians He actually refers to his care For the churches as a mother to her children So I think that's a beautiful way Of thinking about it Alright 2 Thessalonians three three. this is our key verse It's but the Lord is faithful And he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one Alright We have Four left From Paul And then we have eight more Uh, First Timothy Alright, so this is written by Paul to Timothy With advice on how to improve the church in Ephesus So Timothy Is everyone sort of familiar with who Timothy was? Okay Ryan, tell me everything about Timothy He was a young guy Kind of trained under Paul, right? Yeah And That's about all I would have known That's pretty good this is interesting. No, I mean, that's, I mean, it, I would have thought, yeah, he's a young guy. He was, like, friends of Paul. Paul kind of viewed him as, like, a father figure, you know. I didn't know this, but he was a son of a Jewish mother and a Greek father. That's kind of interesting. So that makes him sort of unique to these, a lot of these things. Dorcas, also known as, what, Eunice, or? I felt like he was raised kind of by his His grandmother. Hey, now we're just making stuff up on the podcast. Um, I'm sure you're right. So, yeah, is that from the Shack? Um, he he met Paul as a teenager, which would have been early in Paul's ministry, and he grew to be Paul's spiritual son. Shows up in a lot of stuff. He's with Paul right there at the end, which we'll talk about. Um, major themes, church leadership. There's your blank. So instructions on worship and overseers and deacons that shows up a few times. First Timothy is a big one there. Godliness is your next blank. In fact, first Timothy mentions the Greek word for piety or godliness more than any other book of the Bible. So godliness is key to first Timothy. It also talks about how to treat widows, the elderly and slaves in chapter five, and then how to treat your money in chapter six. And so this idea of the love of money is the root of all evil. That's in First Timothy. Not money is the root of all evil, but the love of money. People always strike that difference. But uh, First Timothy three fifteen. If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. All right. Second Timothy. So, what what's something you know about Second Timothy? Is there anything like of interest? There's something that always comes to mind. It may not be. Your I mean I don't think so. <laughs> it's yeah, It's in Romans. I think that's in First Timothy, isn't it? It's First like Timothy four second two one. Two. One. Mm, I think it's 1 Timothy like three or four, but Somebody and you might want to start by looking at 1 Timothy three or four. We should know. As I'm the one teaching this, I should know. David's probably right. Let's just give it to him. Second Timothy. This is the last book that Paul wrote. Did y'all know that? Okay. All right. So this is the one he wrote right before being martyred. Um, it's written from Paul to Timothy. This was in his second Roman imprisonment. And the blank is this was his final charge. So did you find it, Anna? No, I'm working on it. Okay. So uh Paul realized that he'd come to the end of his life and that he was going to be a martyr. A lot of people this is sad, but had abandoned him in prison because they sensed how hopeless it was and uh obviously, if you follow the the events of acts, this is in line with that and I think you could say too that the last moments of a dying person's life often have a significant impact on others. I think that's what makes second Timothy so special. you're right you're right okay, what is it first Timothy fortunately. Uh, I mean, I, hear, I, I am here uh, <laughs> teaching on these books, uh. so uh, I'm glad you remember that, though. That's pretty cool. Favorite verse is Romans eight thirty-eight and 39, but... It used to be this, though, for sure. Romans. Yeah, it's, it's been a verse of emphasis, but... All right, we're off the rails. 2, two Timothy... second 2 Timothy 4, 2... Whoever's listening to this podcast is like, <laughs> what have I done? They're, they can't turn it off. Um... this is Paul okay again at the end of his life this is his final charge I think it's a beautiful verse so listen to it Um, I I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness so you might read that and not realize that this is like you know he's kind of this is like the last thing he writes and so there's real beauty to that and he's confident and I hope that we'll be able to say that in our last days and then for our uh, key verse, 2 Timothy 1.13, What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. So sound teaching is probably doctrine, right? I think we've used that verse in our lessons on doctrine. All right, Titus. Oh, no, break. It says number one, but it's number two. Break number two. All right, so this is uh, Did You Know? Uh, in the UK, worship director Chris Juby has summarized every chapter of the Bible into 142 characters. He tweeted one chapter a day since August 2010 for a total of 1,189 consecutive tweets before completion. It's kind of cool. Uh-huh. Now, if you're a big Twitterer, you know that they've increased the count. So now he could have done more than one. Anyway, uh, challenge of the day What were you tweeting about in 2010? I shudder to think. I've been on, the, I've been on there since 2009, and I don't even want to know. Don't go on mine. My- <laughs> Probably probably first Timothy four twelve <laughs> um, go go back to your social media accounts and try to read your first post tweet message aloud to your friend and family member without cringing. No, thank you <laughs> all right <laughs> Titus, I, I mean, I'm sure I could read some of it. It's probably just complaining about the Grizzlies. Oh, how things haven't changed um, so this was written by Paul to Titus, and Titus uh, was a close friend and partner, and he was asking uh or lending help and assistance for leading a church in Crete. So C-R-E-T-E. Have you been to Crete? I actually, I have I think you win. Yes. I think yes. You, we went on our senior trip to Crete. You've been to all these places. It's amazing. All right. <laughs> I know, I swear. Yeah. So it's almost like your dad intended on it that way, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> of course. Exactly. Um, So I think in Titus, I think of it like this, that Paul is sort of acting like a consulting firm for evaluating strengths and weaknesses of these churches. And so he's sort of viewing Titus as like he's like mentoring him. Uh, This has a similar message to other epistles. If you know about Titus, it comes up when they talk about elders and deacons. There's a lot of that kind of stuff in here. So the qualifications of elders, that's in Titus. Um, There's warnings against false teachers We see that in Titus 1 For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers They must be silenced So this is like the sixth time that false teaching has, has turned up in these So it's at least in half of Paul's writings There's also guidance for Christian living Another really common idea In Titus 2 verse 2 and the following Teach the older men to be temperate, the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, so that they can train the young women to be self-controlled and pure, busy at home and kind, the young men to be self-controlled. So some practical kind of, it was like Proverbs a little bit. And then our key verse is Titus 1.5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So kind of a cool vision into you know the beginnings of a church and how church leadership was a part of that. And it's kind of an interesting way to view the church today. And in, to whatever degree we don't follow these really like simple ideas, maybe that seems like a bad idea, you know? And so it was very uh, apparent that even in a short, short, short period of time in a young church, that they already had false teachings coming in. They had people with weird ideas that were pursuing things really in contrast to the gospel. And one way to, to guard against that was for someone to mentor the young leader of that church but also to put into place elders and deacons and other leaders they're all committed to sound teaching and doctrine so i mean it's a pretty cool you know if you're not in church leadership or you have no interest in that okay but i think to those of us that are going to be called to that and as medical students dental students people of authority you'll probably have a chance maybe to be an elder or deacon or to be involved in some of that i think it's important to look at the biblical pattern and Say that this is important, we should do it this way. And when we're not, I think you can imagine Paul being around and writing to say, what are y'all doing? Why aren't you doing this anymore? This is not what I taught. And so I think it is important in a church to not just be like all about unity at the expense of doctrine or things that are true. And I think we're going to be faced with that more and more and more where it's, it's hard to say what exactly is true or, well, let's agree to disagree. It's not really Paul's pattern, I don't think, and we don't see that in his letters. As much as he calls for unity, he also calls for truth and standing up for what the gospel is. All right, Philemon. This is the last one, guys. This is written by Paul to Philemon, who is a wealthy Christian in the Colossian church. Uh, Philemon's slave, Onesimus, had run away from his master and had become a follower of Christ. And so Paul asks Onesimus to return to his master, and he writes this book as a plea for Philemon to forgive Onesimus and welcome him as a brother. Uh, It's a really cool story. Like, you know, of all these books, this one's like a more kind of personal and direct and focused uh, epistle or letter, which is really interesting. Uh, Normally, like back in Roman times, runaway slaves would have faced harsh punishment, most likely death, if they were caught. So this would have been countercultural, and it's a perfect opportunity to exemplify the grace of Christ. And so that's what he's writing to Philemon. This is a cool quote from C.S. Lewis is that, Everyone says that forgiveness is a wonderful idea until he has something to forgive. And I think that's true. All right, so Philemon provides a, a case study for, for in forgiveness and demonstrates the na- the nature of God. All right, and here is our verse. Uh, Philemon 1, 15 through 16. Perhaps the reason he was separated for, from you for a little while... Uh, was that you might have him back forever no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord Okay All right, Now these start to fly people. So don't worry. We're, we're really not that far off. So these are the non Pauline epistles Hebrews, I wrote a, a like a 13 page paper, which at the time I thought was like practically a thesis in college in Flaveli Achilles Hebrews class on who wrote Hebrews, so I'm gonna I'm gonna recite that paper by memory for you right now. Um, but I went in thinking that Paul had written, it. that's what I'd always grown up hearing is that it was you know Paul had written it. Um, and actually, in writing it, concluded, well, maybe it was Paul. I mean, there's there's some real similarities to the writings of Paul. But as I've gotten older, I don't think Paul wrote it. I think if he had written it, I think he would have made it more apparent. So I think it's probably like a contemporary of Paul, maybe even a close friend of Paul. So the leading kind of thoughts are Paul or Barnabas, maybe even Luke, uh, Apollos, Apollos, sorry, is a pretty popular thought. Who knows? Maybe some random person we don't know. Um, Hebrews is a really deep and amazing book. I mean, it's one that when you read it, so you kind of go through all of Paul's stuff and you get down to Philemon, which is great, but it's very short. And then you hit Hebrews and it's like all of a sudden, whoa. Like, it's a real meaty and substantial book. I mean, kind of similar to Romans in a way. Like, it's, it's intense. It's not playing around. Uh, so, Hebrews served as a warning to Hebrews or Israelites to stand firm against hardship when they were tempted to revert back to Old Testament ways. So, this is a pattern we've seen. It uh, uses vivid Old Testament imagery to illustrate the supremacy of Christ. Uh, so, we have this sort of thing here. We have Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua, and he's greater than the priests of Aaron. He's greater than angels because he is the divine king. He's greater than Moses because Moses was a servant of God, whereas Jesus is the son of God. He's greater than Joshua because Jesus gives a greater rest to his people. And Jesus is greater than priests because Jesus is sinless and immortal. Um, So, I mean, obviously it goes into much greater detail. And then, of course, there's the, the sort of champions of faith in Hebrews 11, which is a great chapter. And it's just really good stuff. kind of reminds me of like Stephen in Acts 7 where he gives this sort of like summary of the Old Testament. Hebrews kind of does that too. So it rolls through all this. Which I think is interesting because the way that we've approached the Bible is kind of the same way of approaching it. This idea that it is this continuous story that leads to Jesus. And that Jesus actually mirrors these characters. Hebrews does that same sort of, it's like a mini version of what we've done over these however many weeks. 14 or 15. All right, so if Jesus is greater than all these people, then what should we do? Well, that's our key verse, Hebrews ten. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. All right, James, another really great book. Um, sorry to third John for saying that James was so good, because I'm probably not going to say it to third John, but <laughs> James James is a really popular book. Um, it is. Are we doing a study on James? No, we're doing Ephesians, aren't we? Ephesians. Have we done James? No. We've done Galatians? Anyway. So James is written by an unknown author, but I think most people think it's James, the brother of Jesus. And it's written to all believers as the ultimate guide to Christian living. It's a real practical book. It's thought to be maybe the first book written in the New Testament. I'm sure there's others that are up and they're running for that. Um, It teaches that it is possible to believe the right things Yet live the wrong way It also talks about how the tongue is a fire that corrupts Like a great forest being set on fire by a tiny spark And it must be tamed So some really great imagery there Uh, Maybe most famously of James chapter 2 Faith without works is dead Um, And I'll just read this But there was a misconception that since Jesus abolished the law of Moses Then all he needed was faith to be saved this would have been a very a very difficult pill to swallow for people who grew up in the Law of Moses. So James tries to set the record straight that faith alone does nothing. Now, obviously that stands in pretty stark contrast to like something like Romans where it's like only faith. And so you have to kind of remedy these two ideas together. Um, and so there is a faith that is dead. I mean, a faith without works doesn't represent a real faith. It doesn't represent a, a trust that you have that leads you to obey. Um, And so it's this weird sort of like mental gymnastics where it's not the things you do that save you But a faith that doesn't produce good things is is pretty empty Um, And then you even have verses in Hebrews that talk about the ability to fall away or the unforgivable sins You have some of these theological concepts that show up in these books that Stand in contrast to some Calvinist ideas and stand in contrast to maybe some things that Luther would have held firmly to and really what I think it represents is that there is a fuller picture to the theology that exists in all these books. And I am guy famous quote, he said, he said sometimes, you, sometimes I just want to throw Jimmy in the oven. <laughs> That's his famous quote. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, just, I say, sure. quote about James. Sure. To show what, we, what you're talking about. Like I think hard Lutheran Calvinism has some difficulty in James. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I guess he was maybe speaking a little bit in jest, but he said sometimes I just want to throw Jimmy in the other. Yeah. Like talking about James. like I think it's hard to kinda of be hard, five point, uncheckable Calvinist and read James. Yeah. He has some tough versions for that. Yeah. And I think probably in fairness, the Church of Christ or more like you know, movements that are accused of like being legalistic would love James. Like this is like yes, this is what we're talking about. Oh, you yeah, it's a good Church of Christ book. Yeah. <laughs> so I've I've grown up hearing a lot a lot from James. So but a great book. All right, so, uh, and along those lines, James 1.22, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's very practical. I like that. All right, 1 Peter. So I'm guessing you know who wrote 1 Peter. Uh, It's written by Peter, and it was to believers scattered throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and has been there, to offer encouragement as they faced intensifying persecution. Uh, Peter offers hope by setting certain expectations about Christianity He says in chapter 1 that in the Roman Empire Christians would always be aliens or residential foreigners in society I think that's interesting modern day because you know, we have different policies, different ideas about aliens and not even just speaking of the politics but it is important I think to realize that the early church was the minority they were the poor, they were the weak we maybe aren't And so that is a different way of looking at that. When we're talking about Luke and Luke's message to the poor and to the underserved and to the uh, weak is not necessarily the message to us because we're pretty much the opposite of those things. But anyway, Peter is writing to that idea. Um, But being an alien is not such a bad thing. Uh, We're also a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a spiritual house, and a holy nation. So he's trying to encourage these people. Yeah, you're an alien. You're sort of not of this world as it pertains to Rome, but just think about all the things that are to come. And so since we are a chosen people, that makes our behavior around others that much more important. Others will see our behavior and glorify God. So you think of like the Philippian jailer, uh, which I guess that was what, Paul and Silas? Is that right? They're singing and then there's an earthquake and he was gonna kill himself. They're like, no, 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 don't do that. So then they sat and sang with the gates open. It's crazy. And ended up converting him. So. Um, there's this idea of suffering now, but salvation later, which is a, a big, you know, New Testament theme. So suffering is a test. Suffer- suffering is how we identify with Christ. So there is this sort of like not quite yet nature to being a Christian. That it's it sort of waits and it's anticipating what's to come. And then First Peter four sixteen. This is our key, guys. We have only three more sections. Uh, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. It's a great verse. All right, 2 Peter. This is written at, uh, by Peter as his last attempt to help the global church by, it's a long blank, reminding them of the truth. And this is really Peter's goodbye letter. It encourages the readers to be diligent, it warns against fake news. That's Peter's words, but <laughs> it does. Uh, so false teachers in chapter 2, those who lead people to indulge in sin, and then mockers, people who attempt to get people to dismiss Jesus' return. Okay, some of the issues that we've seen over and over and over. It also uh, focuses on the power of memory. Uh, in First 1 Peter 1.25, he knew the word of the Lord endures forever. Um, and then also he had faith that the scriptures would live on as he neared his own death. Okay, so power of memory meaning that these would be things that people would remember for years and years to come that would be powerful 2 Peter 3, 2 I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles so basically it's sort of this encouragement to to hold up the truth to remind them of what's been written and kind of call them against these fake teachers and mockers Alright, I think we maybe have some trivia here Yep. Yeah. Alright, so This is our third and final break What is the first color mentioned in the Bible? That is not the right answer Blue. Blue. <laughs> I heard green It's green Great job David Genesis 1.30, very good it was a guess, I know, but it was a good guess. Uh, what is the most used word in the Bible? The Gosh, David's killing it. It's thee. <laughs> um, why don't you let someone else play this time? Most wen- mentioned m- woman in the Bible. Let's have a female answer this, okay? Eve. Eve, it's not Eve. Mary. No. Mary would have been my guess. I mean, I think you could probably come up with it. Should we keep going? Yeah, think of like the patriarchs. Sarah. Sarah, 59 times. All right, book of the Bible in which God is not mentioned. I know some people definitely know this. Esther. Esther is right. Okay. All right. We're down to the last two sections, guys. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John Alright, so this is uh, written by the Apostle John to a group of churches near Ephesus to encourage and strengthen them um, John is thought to have been the last surviving Apostle, John also writes something that we'll be talking about next week, Revelation and uh, it's sort of like John's ability to, to, to like look back on the gains and setbacks of the early church so each book kind of has a unique message and if you've ever read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John they're pretty similar in ways and they're quick reads uh, 1 John talks more about love than any other book uh, Every 50 words is about love um, It's been said that the gospel of John helps non-believers know how to find eternal life But 1 John helps believers know that they have found eternal life mm-hmm. 2 John It stresses abiding in truth, loving others, obeying God, and being aware of false teachers That's almost like a summary on like every epistle so far I mean, you know, so these themes are consistent. And then third John, if you walk in truth, joy abounds. If you reject truth, the entire church hurts. If you support each other, there's fellowship in truth. And you seek personal power, fellowship is at risk. Okay, so it's sort of the good and the bad there. And then our key verse from all these is third John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Okay. All right, Jude. We actually studied Jude for four weeks at Highland, so it's kind of present on my mind. If I had to guess what New Testament epistle is least focused on, I might would say Jude, if I had to pick one. It's probably Jude. Well, probably like Third John or something, but it's in the running, okay? Um, It's written by Jude, who was the half-brother of Jesus, as a call to fight for their faith, not with weapons or violence, but by loving God and showing mercy. And Jude warns of infiltrators causing division in the church. Um, And then much like computer alerts can cause alert fatigue, Jude encourages the church to keep up their guard. And so when it comes to spiritual warfare, the less aware you are of the fight, the harder it is to recognize the enemy. Um, This is funny that this quote is in here, David. We talked about this like a week ago at breakfast, this quote from the Screw Tape Letters, that is getting at this idea of if you're not aware that you're in the middle of a fight, you're not really in a position to defend yourself. You can't recognize the enemy. If it's sort of like boiling a frog, you do it slowly, right? So they don't jump out. But this is from Screwtape Letters. Don't boil frogs, people. Um, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts, okay? So this is idea from Screwtape Letters is that the devil's method to get us to sin is not by having us you know, murder someone That's not our first step. It's to kind of get annoyed by people and then learn to hate people and then learn to talk really badly about people and then so on and so forth. You get the point. All right, Jude 3b. I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. All right, guys. This is the last slide, and y'all are amazing. Um, The main themes. Seek unity and not division. 1 Corinthians 13 and many other places. Remain vigilant against false teachers, Titus 1.10. Find joy in suffering, it's in Philippians. And then forgiveness demonstrates the nature of God, Philemon. All right, so that pretty much sums up what we find in the epistles. And that is it. Next week we'll be in Revelation. I hate that I won't be here, but it's time for the return of the king. So David... What's interesting, like, I don't, I mean, you've got 22 chapters, I had 21 books, mm-hmm. and, uh, and neither one's really that easy, so, but I mean, obviously, 21 books is harder, so, <laughs> just going no, I mean, that's, those are both, those are both challenges, um, I hate that I'm gonna miss it, because I, I saw Grant, was it wasn't Grant that taught on it, really good, It's really good stuff, so, all right, let's go ahead and turn this off.